Evening, church. Tonight, I'm going to walk you guys through one of the most romantic stories that the Bible has to offer. In it, we, we find it's filled with tragedy, loss, and despair, but it's also filled with warmth and triumph, all found in four little chapters in the book of Ruth. Now, this book, it's not some fairy tale. It's not some distant, unrelated event that happened in history. Because before you know it, when you get engrossed in this story, before you know it, you realize that, hey, hang on a minute. This is my story. But is it too good to be true? We'll find out after prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we... We thank you that you have brought us all here tonight. Lord, I pray for us as we go through breakneck speed through the book of Ruth. Lord, we pray that you send your Holy Spirit to help help us see how beautiful and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So church, imagine if you're watching a movie. And the scene starts off in the place of wilderness, where you see on the distant horizon three shadows. But we don't know who exactly whom they are because it's hot. You see these heat wells, waves coming off from the ground, coming out from the ground, distorting everything that you see. We don't know who they are. But in a moment's time, they, as they walk closer, we figure out who they are. They, they're three females. Now, if we look closely, their clothes are in tatters, almost rags. And those of us who are observant, we see that there are tear marks on their dirt-stained faces. Now this opening scene screams brokenness and it screams sorrow. What happened? How did they get there? Now what happened was there was a great famine in the land And then one day, there was a man by the name of Elimelech. He decides to go and move out of his hometown, Bethlehem. And he decided to go to a distant country called Moab. And so what happened is he takes his wife, Naomi, and his two sons to live in the land of Moab. Now, in the land of Moab, everything seems to be going well. His two sons get married to two native Moabite women. And after a few years... Again, everything seems to be going well. Everything seems to be going fine. But before they knew it, tragedy struck. What happened was Elimelech died. Then his two sons died. And what happened is the three women now became three widows. Now, church, before you can appreciate this passage, appreciate this story, is that you have to have a good understanding of the tragedy that has taken place. Because this was a disaster back in the ancient world. Because if you have no male relative in your family, what happens to you as a woman is the moment all the males die, you you become a social outcast. You get cast into the loaded, you get placed into the lowest social totem pole. What happened is everything that you ever owned would disappear. You're not allowed to own property. You're not allowed to own land. You're not allowed to have anything under your name. I know, girls, this is not fair, but that's just how the ancient world worked back then. This is a bankruptcy type of situation. 
And so as a female, you will have no future. You will have no hope. What faces you is only despair. What's ahead of you is only darkness. And I just want to pause at this point and tell you and talk to you, those of you who are going through difficult times, those of you who are walking in pain, those of you who feel lonely, those of you who are suffering, those of you who are causing self-harm to yourself, those of you who have suicidal thoughts. I want to speak to you. If you just open your hearts and let God's word permeate your heart tonight, because time and time again, the Bible speaks of how oftentimes when you think you are at the worst stages of your life, God can cause the most sorrowful tragedies and turn them into a surprising triumph. How he can turn your test into a testimony. How he can turn your mess into a message. And how he can turn your setback into his set up for God's glory in your life. We come to chapter 1. What was Naomi doing? Naomi is the mother and she's leading the two girls. What is she doing? She's bringing her two girls back to her own country. From Moab, they're traveling back to Judah. But along the way, it finally hits her. Hang on a minute. My two daughter-in-law, they're quite young. And they're also quite beautiful. There are chances and plenty of opportunities that they can remarry again. They don't have to live in this bankruptcy, in this state where we have nothing. They don't have to go through all of this. And plus... Even if they come back to my hometown with me, no Jewish men would want Moabite women. If they go back with me, it means that they will never remarry again. Now, why is that so? Because the Moabite had quite a history, quite a weird history. How these people came to be, you can read it in Genesis chapter 19. Where it happens where there was a guy named Lot, he was a fugitive and he was running away with his daughters. And on the run, his daughters came to a point in their life, they're, they're saying, man, chances are that we're not going to find a man here. And so you know what? They devised the plan and they made their dad drunk and they slept with him. And then one of them got pregnant and gave birth to a kid named Moab. Now, not a very good start to a people, right? It's just kind of, this movie kind of got R-rated already. <laughs> not only that, the Moabites were, in history, how history reveals to us, they were barbaric. They were uncivilized. They continue to attack the Jews again and again and again and again. And also another point in time where the Moabite women they started to seduce these Jewish men. And so these Jewish men, they got seduced and they joined in the, all the sexual immorality. Again, the R-ratedness. I'm sorry for the, all the babies in here. And what happened is God's wrath burned against them and he struck down a thousand of those men. And so to the Jewish mindset, they know, okay, Moabite woman, it's like what MC Hammer says, can't touch this. They are man-eaters by nature, hence the name Moabite. (laughs) 
We don't go there. Moabite women are off limits. No one wants Moabite women. Hence why Naomi, along with her two daughters, she realizes this. And she says, and she turns around to her her two daughter-in-laws, you girls, you girls need to go home. You need to go home. You can remarry back in your land because back in my land, no one would want you. You're still young. You can easily find someone. I have no sons left for you to marry. You can go back. Your families will take care of you. And so one of the girls took the offer and, and she went back home. But then another girl raised up and that was Ruth. And she says, no, mother, I'm going with you. Your home would be my home. Your God would be my God. Thus, they returned to Bethlehem, to Judah. Now, when they returned, it was a time of the barley harvest, which was a fairly good time when you need food. Because one of the provisions of the Old Testament law is that during the time of the harvest, the people who own the field, they're not allowed to collect their field squeaky clean. So what happens is, as the harvesters are harvesting the grain, if they miss out something, they're not allowed to actually go back and grab it. They're meant to actually leave the scraps for the poor to follow behind so that the poor can survive. Now, this was God's welfare system back in the Old Testament. Now, Ruth is not ignorant of this law. And then she says to her mother-in-law, Look, mom, we're both hungry. Let me go out to the fields and gather and pick up whatever I can. Now, church, I don't want you to read past this because Ruth... What she's doing is she's putting herself in harm's way. Why? First off, she's a foreigner. And the worst type of foreigner with a bad history with the Jews. And second, she's a beautiful, single woman. She's vulnerable as well. There's no one to protect her if anything happens to her. But despite all the danger, because she's committed to take care of her mother-in-law, she goes. Chapter 2, verse 3. As it turns out, or just so happens, how the Bible speaks is pretty much chance would have it or luck would have it. She finds herself in the field of a guy named Boaz. Now think Jay-Z, but Boaz-Z. The Bible describes him in chapter 2, verse 1 as a man of standing. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he isn't a man of sitting on his couch all day? Not really. But what it means is that he's a nobleman. He is a man with strength and valor. He is a worthy man. He is able to pick up Thor's hammer and pull that sword out of the stone. He is a man of great respect and a man of God. And the Bible also portrays him as a man that is loaded with all the bling-bling and the ka-chings. He had it all. He was the whole package. And guess what, ladies? He was single. He was single. And suddenly, how the Bible portrays it, suddenly he just arrives to his field. It was like in that movie scene where the knight in shining armor arrives. Like that aura, ready to save the damsel in distress. You know, in those movie scenes where the camera 
just zooms in on that main male character. Everything blurs out and all you could see is the Prince Charming smile. <laughs> just radiating. And he arrives there with his Lamborghini horse. I don't know what vehicle that he was driving. This is exactly like the lovey-dovey, zappy type of movies that you watch, or Korean drama if you're into that, <laughs> where everything is just so cringeworthy and you probably think this, this is absurd. Reality does not happen this way. You'll think this way, especially if you're single. This situation is extremely too ridiculous. It's too perfect. No way would it happen like this. Now, if this was a movie and we are watching together in the cinema, you're probably like, huh? And as you turn to me, you probably see me crying. And you'll probably be thinking, man, are you buying this? I'm like, yes, I'm buying this. Get a hold of yourself, Dexter. But let me tell you, There is a divine director behind all of this. David Platt quotes, There is a divine author who has written this story and your story, plotting for your good and for his glory. So Boaz, Boazi, he comes into the scene and he's a cool dude and he's just blessing everybody. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you and you and you and everyone's, you know, happy and they're yelling back in unison. And the Lord bless you. We just love you. And so you can just imagine all this fangirls like, ah, like it's Boaz. They love him. This guy is well loved by his people. And as his head was, was turning around, just scrim, skimming through the crowd, his eyes rest upon Ruth. Despite currently what she looks like, despite currently what she's wearing, despite the kind of mess that she's in because she is working out in the field in the hot Middle Eastern sun, despite all the sweat and dirt, it could not cover up her beauty. As he gazed at her, his heart skips a few beatboxes. And I can just imagine the scene where he asked one of his workers, Diago, who's that? Whose young chica is this? This, this senorita make my heart go loco. We're probably watching the Mexican version. The servant responds, sir, she was the lady that went back with Naomi. She's the talk of town. She's, she's the Moabite woman. Her identity is revealed. It is compromised. And hence why Ruth comes out and begs and cries out, please let me glean after the harvesters. The servant continues her, his report. She came and went into the field till morning, till now, except for that little short break for, in the rest for, in the shelter. Translation, sir. She has no husband. She is vulnerable. She has no one to provide for her. That's why she's working so hard, sir. And Boaz says, my daughter, listen to me. 
You don't have to go on to another field. You can stay here. You can stay on my field and you can collect with my servant girls. And so tonight, there's four Ps that I want to give you guys of a mark of a redeemer because the whole book of Ruth is about redeeming and a redeemer. And so there's four marks and they all start with Ps. The first aspect of a redeemer is that he permits us to stay. Boaz welcomed Ruth as he would welcome family, despite knowing exactly who Ruth is. Whom according to the Jewish mindset that the Moabites are a cursed people, the Moabite are the people that you don't want to go near, the Moabite people, you don't want them in your homes or even near your homies. But he says, hey, stay here. I permit you to stay here. The second mark of the Redeemer is that he protects. So the first, he permits. The sec, he, second, he protects. Chapter 2, verse 9. He says, Watch the fields where the men are harvesting. Follow after the girls. I told the men not to touch you. Now, this gives us insight into what happened to females in the field, doesn't it? But Boaz is saying, hey, Ruth, you don't need to worry about anything. Just keep your eyes on the field. You can just keep your eyes on the ground and just glean. You don't need to worry about the men. I have already told the boys that none of them will touch you. Right, boys? Now, this is a scene where the alpha male stands up within the movie and he just claims what is his and he is gone unchallenged. Why? Because he is the boss around this area. The two of them continue to dialogue. Hey, Ruth, when you're thirsty, just take the water off the boys. You don't need to go to that well and draw the water by yourselves. No, you can just take theirs. Just drink their water. Make yourself a home. And Ruth sees all this and she feels all this and she falls down face down to the ground and she says, why have I found such favor, favor within your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner and a Moabite of all people? She is overwhelmed that the Lord of the harvest has sought her and is willing to protect her. Then comes to my third mark of a redeemer. He provides for us. First off, he permits us to stay. Second, he protects us. And thirdly, he provides for us. So after a while, after Boaz is seeing her work really hard and it's time for lunch, Boaz kind of asks Ruth on a date. He comes up to her all smooth and criminal. Hey, want to grab a bite? She's like, Okay. And they sit at the table and he serves her at the table and he says, hey, have some bread and dip it in the wine. Now this scene is amazing. It's incredible because moments ago, Ruth had no food. Now she's enjoying food in abundance. What happened is the Bible is telling us she's biting some and she's stashing some away for later. And it gets better than this because then Boaz, after lunch, Boaz calls his minions in secret and he says, Boys, help me out, homies. 
when she gleans, let her even glean from the sheaves instead of her scavenging the scraps, let her take from the main product. Don't any of you dare to embarrass her. Don't any of you dare diss her. You know what? From the bundle, when you are cutting that grass or that wheat, pretend to drop some main stuff. Pretend that you accidentally dropped it. Be cool. And so what happens is the Bible tells us that Ruth gleans to morning to evening and then she weighs it out. Now, how much has she gotten within the day? The Bible says she has gotten an ether of barley, meaning around 15 to 20 kilograms. Now, let's put that in perspective. Now, if you're very, very, very lucky, within a day you can glean about 500 grams. Now, what Ruth has gleaned within a day was nearly two months' worth of food. Now, that's crazy. And here's another crazy thing. Ruth was buff. How do I know that? The Bible says she carried it back home. (laughs) Yes, she lifts. She's a strong woman. Now, the scene switches to Naomi. And Naomi is sitting at home or alone and she's worried and she's panicky because she just sent her daughter-in-law onto a dangerous mission. She doesn't care about how much Ruth has collected. She just wants Ruth home safe and sound. During the wait, she hears a knock on the door. Mom, it's me. She opens the door. She hugs Ruth. And then the two girls start chatting. So Ruth, how did everything go? And then Ruth just slams this huge bag within the tabletop. What's up? This is what's up. (laughs) And Naomi is like, wow, what, how, who? And Ruth begins to giggle and she begins to blush and she starts talking about this guy named Boaz. Now Naomi is surprised because Boaz was a relative of Naomi, which means that he could be one of the possible kinsmen's redeemer. Now, to be a kinsman redeemer, you have to be a relative. You have to have the resources and the resolve to redeem back the lost inheritance. Chapter 3. As time goes by, this mother-in-law, Naomi, starts planning, starts strategizing what seems to be a fairly shady scene upon the threshing floor. It's, again, gets getting pretty R-rated now. Naomi tells Ruth, girl, it's time for you to up your game. Catch him like a Pokemon. Go. He's celebrating tonight with the boys. It's the end of harvest. He's going to be with the boys. They're going to party really, really hard on the dance floor with the, it's, it's music. And, and, he's going to, and he's going to go to sleep. I want you to sneak up on him and you know what to do. But Ruth, the timing is everything. Give him his guy time. Now, To the OC women, let your men have their guy time. (laughs) Is Demi here? (laughs) My wife's not here. 
She can listen to it like, let you guys have that guy's <laughs> It's biblical. It's biblical. Now then Naomi continues. Ruth, wait till he passes out. Then sneak up on him and then pull the blanket off his feet and lay down near it. Now wait for him to get cold and wake up and ask him to propose to you because he's our last hope. And Ruth goes and she does so. And for the first time in an engagement history process, the girl is hoping and praying that the guy gets cold feet. And there it happens. Boaz was sleeping soundly upon the threshing floor. Why was all the boys sleeping around that? Because they're celebrating the harvest and they also, when they sleep there, they also help guard the grain. And so he's just sleeping peacefully. And then suddenly he feels something grab his foot and he's like, ah! (laughs) And behold, it's Ruth. And she goes, shh, 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 Bo, it's me. What? How? Who? When? Why? Ruth then says, chapter 3, verse 9, she says this. Would you cover me with your garment? Now, basically, that means, would you marry me? And symbolically, it means, would you spread your wings over me to provide for me and protect me? That's what she's saying. Now, Boaz at this, he's, it hits him. He's flattered. He's into Ruth as well. But he collects himself and he says, Ruth, there's, there's, actually, no, there's actually another guy that is a more closer relative to Naomi than I. The right process is to find that guy first. Ask him first if he wants to redeem you. And if he says, no, I will redeem you. I will marry you. And I just love the way how Boaz does things. OC men, we can learn from this. Boaz didn't take the opportunity that most men would take. He could have totally bypassed the other guy and took Ruth right there. But no, he wants his relationship to honor God and God's standards and God's laws. We then arrive to the last and final chapter, chapter 4. Surely enough, the very next morning, Boaz goes up to the city gate. Now, the city gate was a very important place in that ancient culture because that's where everything important takes place, where it is the political and jurisdictional decisions would be made, where all the big major transition and business deal would transpire. He waits there and surely enough, he sees the next in line kinsman redeemer and he's like, friend. Can't take a seat. And he takes the seat. And then Boaz gathers 10 elders of the town. And he's like, hey, you guys also take a seat. And they all take a seat. Now it shows us how influential and powerful Boaz was. To be able to call a meeting of this caliber early in the morning in that short amount of time. It shows us how influential and powerful that he is. 
They all take a seat. They all listen to him. And then Boaz asks this other guy in a nutshell, would you like to redeem Ruth? Because if you don't, I will. Now at this church, everyone is holding their breath. (gasps) (laughs) What's going to happen? What will the answer be? After much suspense, the guy says, Yeah, sure, why not? (gasps) If this was a movie, every one of us would be screaming within the cinema. Oh, come on! Some of us would be throwing our popcorn. Boaz, what are you doing? This scene frustrates us. Like how if we watch a horror movie, there's actually a lot of horror movies right now because it's October. Anyways, the scene in the horror movies where... They hear a creepy noise in a creepy house and the whole group goes, let's check it out. And when they go into that house, they say, split up. That's how characters die in these horror movies. Turn back, you idiot. Run away. Boaz, this is frustrating. You need to do something. Talk him out of it. What are you doing? And the camera focuses now on Naomi and Ruth. Again on their faces, you see tears. And you can also hear their hearts just shattering. Their life was filled upon tragedy, upon tragedy, sorrow, upon sorrow. And just when they thought they had a break, just when they thought they had something going good for them, it shatters, it's gone. There is no hope left. All hope seems lost. The situation is dire. How is the protagonist going to get out of this one? And the camera slowly zooms back to Boaz. And what you see is a smirk upon his face. It seems like everything has gone according according to his plan. And he speaks up. Oh, hang on, dude. I kind of left out one tiny little detail for you. You know, Ruth, you know that? Beautiful senorita, you you know, Ruth? I forgot to tell you, she's a Moabite. She's a, yeah, that's right, you heard me. She's a Moabite. (laughs) Hot dang! (laughs) Oh, well, this is awkward. I kind of don't want her no more. Can I back out of this? And so he backs out. He steps away. And Boaz steps on stage. And band, you can also step on stage. This is the last mark of a redeemer. He is willing to purchase us at any price. This is the climax of the movie. As Boaz says, I will redeem her. And she shall be with me. And he pays this price and he says to the elders and to everyone who's, who's onlooking, he says, you are all my witnesses. Today I have purchased the land that belongs to Elimelech 
All that belongs to Kilon. All that belongs to Malon. I have bought it all. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife. And from now on, she is mine. She is mine. And you all are my witnesses. Ruth, from a position of being a widow, being broken, alone, hungry, without hope, without future, Ruth now becomes a wife, a beloved, permitted to stay by his side, protected under his wing, provided by him, and he also purchased back her lost inheritance. And they lived happily ever after. The credit starts rolling. And the ending note, or the epilogue, if you will, it says that Ruth conceives and she gives birth to a son. And they name him Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, King David. Now, church, if you know your genealogy well, this was also the line that our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, comes from. Now, how did a Moabitess end up in the family line of God of the universe? Why? How? Because God provided a Redeemer. Why is she there? Is there also the same reason why you and I can be there? Because God provided us a Redeemer and His name was Jesus. We too were in a position where we were destitute and desperate. But Jesus, our Redeemer, permits us to stay by His side. We can stay in His field. We can stay in His arms, in His embrace. We don't need to go elsewhere to find satisfaction and fulfillment. We can stay there. He permits us to stay. Jesus is the Redeemer who protects us. The Bible says, if Christ is for us, who can be against us? So church, what do you still have to fear? Jesus is the Redeemer who provides for us in abundance. If we have Him, He is enough. His grace is sufficient. In this story, Boaz invites Ruth towards his table. And you know what? Jesus Christ also invites us to His table. And as a church, we will come to that very soon. And Jesus is the Redeemer who purchased us back, restoring our lost inheritance that was lost through sin and death. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, Jesus by His blood has brought about an eternal redemption. Boaz was only a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the true eternal Redeemer. Boaz paid If you read the story, he just gave his sandal away. But really, it signifies that he's also going to pay with gold and silver. But you know what Christ paid with? He didn't just give up his sandal. No, he gave up his throne. He, He gave up his crown and took a crown of thorns. He went upon a cross. He didn't pay with with stuff. He paid with the blood that flowed through his very veins. He paid. And how did he pay? 
Who did he give? He gave himself. He gave himself. All of him is ours. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in a sense, church, you and I, we, we are the Ruth. And now Boaz, Jesus has come and he has on that cross declared in public, you are mine. You are mine. I have paid for all your iniquities. I have paid for all your errors and wrongs as far as from the east is to the west. See, I have separated your sin. I claim you. Who else dares to claim you when I have paid for it all? He does not mind who you are. He does not mind what kind of past that you have. What kind of sin, guilt, and shame that you are carrying upon your shoulders. Because as he laid his eyes upon you and as he gazed at you, he calls you beautiful. He calls you important. He calls you his treasure and you are his beloved. And I know, church, this seems too good to be true. This seems like a fairy tale because this love that is expressed in this story is just too perfect. It's too perfect. But I have good news for you. I have good news for you. It's true. It's true. Jesus truly, lavishly, recklessly loves you. This is our love story. God bless you, church.